Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host as always, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Find me on Twitter, please, at A Gross Newsday. And this is, uh, for the lack of a better term, the stuff is getting real episode. Uh, we're, we're, you know, I know it's still just the first week or so of uh, February here, but really, you know, to use a uh, arcane and uh, outdated term, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here, folks. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun, if uh, not tension-filled ride here between now and April 4th when the Islanders conclude their regular season against the Devils at the Coliseum. And we'll have to see whether that there will be hockey after April 4th and the Islanders make the playoffs for a second straight year under Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo. Um, it's not going to be easy, but as of now, they are still in a playoff position, uh, playing a little bit better as of late. They're still in this, uh, kind of just 500 mode, uh, really since, uh, you know, since they got out of, uh, really going back to Thanksgiving after that 15-0-2, uh, streak. Uh, but so on tonight's or today's or this episode, whenever you see free to, to, to listen to it. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming NHL trade deadline. We're going to talk a little bit about the Islanders' upcoming schedule. We're going to talk a little bit about what the Islanders need to be better at. And then we're going to talk a little bit with Kiefer Bellows, the Islanders' 2016 first-round pick, 19 overall, who made his NHL debut with an assist in Tuesday night's 4-3 overtime win against the Dallas Star. That is coming up uh, a little later on in the podcast. But first, like I said, the stuff is getting real. February 24th, the NHL trade deadline. And, you know, we've been saying this all along. I, I think this is the season uh, and it wasn't last season, but this is the season Lou Lamarillo needs to add to this group to kind of get them over the hump and, and make them a stronger playoff team because they are really uh, clawing and scratching and battling right now to maintain uh, a playoff position. It, it is, it's not easy in the, uh, in the NHL East. There's uh, about 10 teams right now. Uh, as I call up the standings on my handy-dandy uh, laptop here, uh, about 10 teams in the uh, Eastern Conference, really, who all could make a case for uh, being a playoff team. Only eight, of course, will go. And uh, if you look at those 10, and I'm going down to Carolina, uh, as I speak on Wednesday, Carolina is 10th in the Eastern Conference with 63 points, and that puts them just three points behind the Islanders, who are uh, 6th in the conference right now at 66 points. Uh, More importantly, the Islanders are in 4th place in the Metro and in the first wild card spot, you don't want to be in the wild card spot. I think you really want to, well, I mean, you know, best case scenario, obviously, you want to finish one or two. 
but you you're you know you want to get into a third spot you know and and not really face one of those first place teams which this season looks like it's going to be uh Washington or Boston either one of which would be a tough matchup for the Islanders though the Islanders have shown they can play with both teams as they've shown at their best they can play with any team in the NHL it's a matter of being at that best for a, a consistent measure as they were as I mentioned during that 15-0-2 streak but since then you know, a couple of things. I, I don't think you can understate the importance of not having Cal Clutterbuck in the lineup with Casey Sezikis and Matt Martin. Uh, it just completes that fourth line. That's not taking anything away from Leo Komarov. It's not meant as a dig on Leo Komarov, who is filled in for Cal on the right wing there. It's just a acknowledgement that those three players make each other better. And that's what the Islanders need. The Islanders also need more consistency out of a third line. Derek Broussard snaps an 18-game uh, goalless drought with a goal against the Stars on Tuesday. But, you know, they just need more from that. Michael Dalcal had an assist. He had a goal the previous game. But still, that's just three goals from Michael Dalcal. Michael Dalcal not necessarily probably going to be known uh, as a uh, prolific scorer in his NHL career, um, and that, you know, as you look forward to the NHL trade, dine, trade deadline, that kind of takes you to what the Islanders need, and, and that is some scoring help. Um, again, the other missing part, and again, this cannot be understated either, is lefty defenseman Adam Pellick. Uh, out for at least the rest of the regular season after uh, hurting his Achilles tendon pregame against the uh, Devils on January 2nd. Noah Dobson has gotten the assignment since then. Uh, I I don't think it's, uh, you know... Telling tales out of uh, out of school to acknowledge that Lou Lamarillo probably, if he could, would like to bolster the defensive core with a veteran lefty. Um, that is never easy. Most NHL playoff teams are looking to add in the back end as they get towards the uh, trade deadline. But uh, again, if you're looking for you know two things, the the Islanders do need. I I, I think they could. You know, maybe getting a a lefty defenseman veteran would be more of a luxury buy. I don't think you can say that uh, as far as getting some scoring help. Um, You know, whether it's a guy to plug in on the third line or, you know, it's a guy to plug in in the top six and maybe take uh, Josh Bailey and move him down to, uh, you know, and work with Derek Broussard on the third line, kind of give you more balance. Um... You know, the names are out there. Pajot from the Senators, Chris Kreider from the Rangers is probably uh, the top target if the Islander, if the Rangers decide to move him. Um, again, it would be highly unlikely if the Rangers, if they did move Chris Kreider, whether they would move him to Lou Lamarillo's Islanders. Don't see that happening. But, you know, he's a, he's a big name that's potentially going to be out there. Pajot, uh, also an unrestricted free agent after this season. Um, he's had a career season, although 
his scoring has kind of died down as of late. So is Peugeot a, you know, would that be a little bit of buyer beware or would his upside, you know, come back inserted into the playoff push? That's, that's, you know, that's why Lou Lamarillo is making more money than I am, you know, to make those kind of calls. If he can be in on Peugeot, a um, couple of guys I've mentioned, uh, Tyler Toffoli from the uh, Kings. You got Jason Zucker with the Wild, who, you know, perhaps the Islanders have some interest in if the Wild can be, uh, you know, convinced to deal him. And Zucker is not a UFA coming up. That would be more of a long term uh, buy or trade. Um, you know, a, a defenseman I, I, I mentioned in the past, and I'm more and more convinced would be a really good fit. For the for the Islanders would be the Devils Andy Green again you know a guy who's you know uh, on, on the final hole or two of his career I would think um, but you know you insert him into a playoff push here and I think you could uh, you know he he's a savvy enough player you could if you had to you you could actually use Andy on the power play I've seen that being done uh, certainly a penalty killer knows the game as well as anyone Lou is very very familiar with him I don't know whether that could be a match and then uh, you know again another I don't know if this is fantasy or not but if the Devils really want to break it down and you know start again from scratch whenever they get a you know uh, possibly, you know, new GM if it's not going to be Tom Fitzgerald there and a new coach if it's not going to be uh, Lynn Nassardine, uh with the Devils. We, we, would the Devils consider moving Kyle Palmieri? Um, and again, I covered the Devils for, you know, almost two seasons. And uh, Kyle, although he did a bulk of his growing up in New Jersey, you know, originally, you know, born on Long Island, would that be a homecoming he'd be interested in if, uh, if it was presented to him? You know, I, I really like Kyle Palmieri's game in, in a lot of ways. I, I think he would be the absolute perfect fit into a Barry Trot system. He's got grit. He can score. He loves playing around the crease. Uh, use him on the power play. Um, you know, and again, you know, this is not said with any knowledge that the island, uh, the Devils are looking to move Kyle Palmieri. But, you know, that if that was ever the case, I, I would think, you know, Lou would 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 like to, you know, that's something worth giving up assets for there. Uh, to bring, you know, that kind of, you know, grit and sandpaper, as you say, and scoring potential, you know, 30 goal score in the NHL uh, at one point, uh, you know, I, I really like Kyle's game still, I think uh, just turning 29, I believe, still got a little bit of tread on the tires there. I mean, uh, if Lou could ever swing a deal for, uh, you know, Andy Green and Kyle Palmieri together, that, you know, pretty much takes care of uh, two big needs. Actually, Two big needs in the lineup. And, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention, really three big needs for the Islanders. Uh, I, I know they get the power play goal. Um, Matthew Barzell, a really neat slick between the skates move. Uh, get the power play equalizer late in the third period, and they go on to beat the Stars 4-3 on Tuesday night. But that was the uh, Islanders' fifth power play. I think they had... 13 total shots, but uh, 0 for 2 in the first period, 0 for 2 in the second period, 
And what, what I saw was a lot of perimeter passing. And uh, I, I still think the Islanders need more of a, you know, a shoot mentality on the power play. Although, you know, you talk to the players, you talk to Barry Trotz after the game, and he liked what he saw from the power play. Matthew Barzell said he felt like the power play could have gotten a, a couple of more goals. And, and to be fair, the, you know, they, they actually scored twice on one power play, except Brock Nelson's power play tally got waved off after it was determined uh, that Anders Lee had interfered with Stars goalie Ben Bishop, kind of a... You know, 50-50 call, in my opinion. Uh, you know, uh, Anders Skate did push up against uh, Ben Bishop's uh, pad. Uh, I believe it's his right pad, if I'm figuring out my right from my left. Um, and, and Ben Bishop's right pad was still in the blue paint, if only just. But as Barry Trott said after the game, and yeah, I, I tended to agree with him, and I was... You know, I was 50-50 on whether that goal was going to get overturned. But, you know, Barry said Ben Bishop really didn't do much to get out of the way or to fight off that contact. And uh, I, I kind of agree. I think he might have drawn a call there. But uh, that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, the Islanders did have the resiliency, uh, which has been somewhat of a trademark for them, uh, you know, if not consistently. Uh, they need more consistency, but they do have resiliency. If if that's not not making sense to you, uh, you know I'm sorry about that. But they have shown, you know, they have shown a resiliency, uh, especially the two games in Brooklyn. Um, you know, four three uh, overtime loss to the Canucks on Saturday, but Brock Nelson scores with 25.1 seconds to go in the third period to get a, a, a crucial point there. And, you know, I know it sounds cliche, you know, crucial point. They get one, you got to get one. You know, it, it, every single game, it seems, is going to be a three-point game from here on out. And uh, you got to secure that one and hope to get the two. Um, you know, the Islanders through Tuesday only have 19 wins in regulation. Uh, which is not enough. That's that that's going to be the first playoff tiebreaker once you get to 82 games. And uh, uh, you know they 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 do have 27 uh, rows or rows R O Ws, however you want to pronounce that, win uh, regulation or overtime wins. But uh, now regulation wins is the first tiebreaker. So 27 R O Ws, but just. 19 RWs um, at this point. And uh, so on tiebreakers, it seems like the Islanders are probably going to miss out, uh, you know, in, in tiebreaking situations if it comes up against, you know, the Blue Jackets or, you know, the Flyers only have 20 regulation wins. So, uh, you know, the Islanders still have a chance to finish ahead of them. But you look at the, the Florida Panthers, who right now are, are eighth in the uh, Eastern Conference, um, just two points behind the Islanders, as I speak on Wednesday, they they have uh, they, they have 24 regulation wins, and it's going to be really hard for the Islanders with 19 to overtake the Panthers uh, between now and April 4th. Um, but again, you know what what I would like to see on the Islanders' power play is they as again I I saw a lot of perimeter passing, and I think the Islanders have some fine passers. On the power play, I'd like to see a little bit more shooting. Um, and again, Barry Trotz said he, you know, he saw the chances, he saw the shots. 
I'm just giving you my opinion. I, I think they need to shoot more on the power play and, and they need to shoot more uh, closer to the crease. They just, for a long time, it seemed to me they, they just weren't getting a lot of shots through against the, the Stars. And again, it, it all worked out in the end for them. But I, I think, you know, when Lou, you know, if Lou can acquire a, a scoring wing or scoring forward, it has to be someone also who's pretty adept on the power play because, uh, you know, five on five goals just be just, just as every game sort of becomes a three point game going to overtime as it gets tighter and tighter. These games do get tighter and tighter and five on five goals just diminish and, and you're going to win or lose games on special teams. And, uh, you know, the Islanders power play, I, I think at last glance, um, Oh, uh, what did I have it at? Here we go. Uh, I did all this prep and now I'm fumbling around. But uh, they are 19th in the NHL at 19.2% on the power play. And that's uh, it's almost 10 percentage points less than the Oilers, who lead the league at 28.9%. You know, you'd like to see the Islanders humming along, you know, somewhere... You know, the 20 to 21 percent, uh, you know, we'd like them to be, you know, 15 or higher, 13 and higher on the power play uh, to really feel confident there. And I think they can still get there. But again, I, I think they need to improve their power play personnel. Um, I don't think that's going to come uh, necessarily from Kiefer Bellows, um, uh, who received his call up, NHL debut and assist. Um, he is going to be a power forward. Um, in the NHL, I, I don't know necessarily that they're going to count on him for power play production uh, as we go down the stretch. And again, that's why, you know, I advocate for a guy like Kyle Palmieri, who, you know, you really could just plug and play on the power play. And, uh, you know, even in Andy Green, you could take a shot at, although he, you know, he'll even joke uh, at the lack of power on some of his shots there. So, uh, you know, uh, they, they, when I was covering the Devils, they did try out Andy Green on the power play. It wasn't a great power play, but uh, again, just, you know, uh, an option just in case. Um you know, they need these improvements, the Islanders do, because you, you look ahead to the schedule. And again, as I talked to you on a Wednesday in between the Dallas 4-3 overtime win on Tuesday and the end of a uh, three-game homestand at Barclays Center on Thursday against the uh, once-mighty, now-not-so-mighty uh, Los Angeles Kings, you're looking at, uh, I believe it's 10 games here, uh, starting with the Kings game until uh, the February 24th uh, trade deadline. Six of those on the road, and uh, the, the Islanders have a tough, you know, once the Kings game is over, it's a lot of travel here, and, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks, they go to Tampa Bay, never an easy game. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I believe that's Saturday, and then on Monday, uh, you're in Washington. You're, I don't know if you're going to be in Washington. Uh, you know, uh, as long as travel cooperates with me, I'll be in Washington. I'll be in Tampa as well. Um, so, you know, Tampa, Washington, that's, that's a heck of a one-two road trip there. You know, uh, you know, uh, last season, you could have said those were, you know, maybe the two top teams in the uh, East. Um you know, and and maybe by the end of this season, uh, you know, uh, they still could be the two top teams in the East, although I think Boston will have something to say about that. 
uh, Pittsburgh as well. But the point, you, know, you get what I'm trying to say. You know, Tampa and Washington is not a uh, walk in the park. And then you, you fly home from Washington. You got a back-to-back with the Flyers at the Coliseum. And then you, you fly right back out on Wednesday um, for, uh, for a four-game road trip. And that's going to match the Islanders' season long for uh, being on the road. And this is a you know, not West Coast, but it is a Western swing, uh, Western Conference swing. You start in Nashville. Again, not an easy game, although Barry always loves going back to Nashville. And it'll be good to see uh, uh, my old buddy John Hines, uh, who's now coaching the Predators. Looking forward to catching up to Hinesy. Um And then you go to Vegas, and again, you know, Vegas is not an easy place to play. Uh, You know, uh, Trotz's Caps, that was was the Stanley Cup final, as you well know. And then you go to Arizona, who has been struggling, but they, you know, they... They were one of the Western Conference's better teams over the first half of the season, and they have acquired Taylor Hall, although that hasn't necessarily worked out wins and losses. But the, the point being, that's, that, that's no easy game. And then you go to Colorado, and the Avalanche are, you know, uh, with McKinnon and McCarr, I mean, the Avalanche, that's a rough way to end the road trip, you know. So uh, the point being... The the Islanders are, are going into this February 24th trade deadline with a difficult schedule. And, you know, maybe they need the help before February 24th with that kind of competition. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, I'm acquiring a player sooner who can get out on that road trip, you know, and, and bolster the scoring against those, you know, some of those stronger Western Conference teams. But again, you know, the prices are probably still pretty high. You know, maybe it's a little bit more reasonable on February 24th as the market breaks. But, you know, I'm just saying, seeing, saying me in my perfect world, get someone in sooner rather than later, you know, get a scorer in, you know, maybe, uh, you know, help that power play out. But, uh, Again, and and I know, you know, for it seems like a month, month and a half now, I've I've done a lot of fielding questions. When's Kiefer Bellows going to come up? When's Kiefer Bellows going to come up? Well, he came up Monday. um, And, you know, Lou Lamorello said he's one of, uh, you know, the the organization's A prospects. And, you know, Barry Trotz said he's come up to add to the scoring. And that's what we drafted him for. And, you know, he's got a shot. He's got a nose for the net. He's been consistent over the last couple of months here uh, with Bridgeport. Now he's going to get a chance to show whether he can can be consistent on on an NHL level. Um, You know, and and whether or not the Islanders, who were were successful last season rolling four lines, uh, whether they can get back to that. You know, the third line has kind of, you know, been a little bit of a black hole, uh, you know, Tommy Kunhakel gets benched against the Canucks. Uh, he's a healthy scratch. Um, you know, Michael Dalcal again, he scores a goal. It's only three there. So, you know, it, you know he does the hard stuff in the corners, and, and he tries, um, you know, but the, the points haven't necessarily come consistently for Michael Dalcal. Um You bring up Kiefer Bellows and, you know, you you need more scoring out of Derek Broussard. And it it would help if, you know, again, Derek, you know, if that was also on the power play because Broussard gets power play time. But, uh, you know, Kiefer and uh, Dalcal set up uh, Broussard's second period goal. 
Um, that snaps an 18-game goal drought for Broussard. And, you know, if Kiefer can be that spark to get the third line playing better, all of a sudden, you know, your lineup does look a little bit better. Um, again, I still think the Islanders need to go out and make a trade. But, you know, Kiefer Bellows, you know, has the chance to show that he can be in the lineup on a regular basis. And he does have the chance to make that third line a little bit better or a lot better. And speaking of that, I did speak with Kiefer Bellows in the New York Islanders dressing room uh, shortly before he was going to make his uh, NHL debut. Uh, Just a brief chat. He had uh, done a media scrum. I got him for a couple of questions. And, uh, you know, again, Kiefer is uh, the son of NHL uh, NHLer Brian Bellows, who was a second overall pick in the Minnesota North Stars. Um, won a cup with the Canadians in 1993, uh, played over a thousand games in the league. Um, you know, and, and Kiefer Bellows has, you know, talked about, you know, what an influence his dad was and just understanding what the NHL life is like. And he also heaped tons of praise upon his mother, Tracy, who he just called his backbone, said he wouldn't be where he is without the two of them. And uh, both Tracy and Brian made it to uh, Barclays Center for Tuesday's night, Tuesday night's game. Uh, after Tuesday's game, Brian said his folks were sticking around for the week, so they'll also see the Thursday game. And uh, here's Kiefer Bellows uh, with a few thoughts on uh, coming up to the NHL, his game in Bridgeport, and what he needs to do to remain in the NHL. Kiefer, if you could just tell us, what was it, 15 goals over 26 games, I believe. Just what clicked into place, and, and when did you feel it first? You know, I just, you know, when I sat out those two games in November, um, you know, it really made me take a step back, kind of realize what I needed to do personally to make myself uh, more reliable and more aggressive and just better on the ice, and that's what I did. I went out there and I was more aggressive and I was more assertive, and I started attacking the net more, and I just started carrying the puck more, just, you know, doing a lot of it, you know, on my own, but... You know, just you have you can do only so much on your own. So I had a I had a great support staff from my teammates and my you know my line mates at the time, and then especially the coaching staff. You know, without all of them, I wouldn't be where I am today. Who were you playing with regularly? Yeah, a lot of the time it was uh, Laredo and McDonald. Right. So playing with those two guys, we built a lot of good chemistry, and you know those two were uh, you know they've obviously been around for a little bit here, and um, so just learning from them and playing with them has really you know helped my game grow. What, um, you know, how are you approaching this assignment here, you know, and, and the opportunity that's in front of you at this point? Yeah, I'm just trying to come to the rink every single day and learn from all the veterans and, you know, put in the work, work hard, and just, you know, try to do all the little details that will help me hopefully stay here. You, you've been through two training camps, right, with the, with the Islanders. Can you talk about the differences this this year's training camp to last year and I know Barry was talking the other day about it it was just a matter really of consistency you know you would have good moments and then you know but you just needed to sustain that did you did you feel that yeah I obviously felt the consistency in my game needed to be improved and I needed to you know really focus on that and that's something that you know last year I struggled with in the American League and I think this year I've done a better job of and you know just that comes from you know just being in the league and learning and just trying to be uh you know going through those ups and downs makes you mentally tougher throughout it so I think that has a lot to do with last year and just getting me through this year and just helping me get to where I am
How much stronger do you feel? Your, your body, you know, second year as a pro and, you know, working out and being in that regimen. Yeah, most definitely. I think, I think just personally, mentally and physically, um, I know how to prepare for just games and the whole lifestyle of being a pro player better this year than I did last year. And, you know, uh, uh, just so important on nutrition and sleep and, you know, everything you can do to make yourself better every single day, but also to help you make yourself the best you can be the next day. And I think I learned a lot last year and uh, this year I think I've applied that. I'm sure, you know, you've probably dreamed of this moment since you were, what, you know, maybe two, three, four years old, I imagined. Was, what, what are you going to try and take in tonight? And I'm sure they're going to give you the rookie lap. But, you know, what, what are you going to try and remember from tonight's experience? You know, for me, I'm just, you know, obviously it's going to be a special moment stepping on that ice. and uh, But I'm just going to focus on being the best player and teammate I can be for this team and this organization and going out there and giving, a, you know, 120% in all three zones and just all around. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help this team win because, you know, that's what's most important. Based on what you saw in, you know, preseason, what do you think is going to be the biggest step from the AHL to the NHL? Yeah, I think the biggest steps obviously just going to be the speed of the game. It's not just, it's a, uh, it's about how fast guys skate, but it's also about you know the way the guys think the game. It's going to be a little bit faster, and it's, you know, I'm ready for that. I think I, you know, I, I think the game at a high speed, and uh, you know, I'm ready to take on that challenge. You know, we're going against a, a really good Dallas team tonight with a lot of firepower, but also really good defensively and great goaltending. So it's going to be a, a good matchup, and you know, we got a good group of guys here. You know, they say they're they're like a family, and you know, they brought me in like that, and it's awesome best piece of advice your parents have given you or have given you in the past just both of them telling me to have fun enjoy the enjoy the the process enjoy the time because you know my mom said it my dad said it you know it's over before you know it listen have fun i appreciate it awesome thank you very much and, and it was quite a night for uh, or quite a day for Kiefer bellows on tuesday you know uh gets called up monday as we mentioned and uh yeah, gets into the game and uh, winds up getting that uh, that assist on uh, Derek Broussard's second period goal as uh, the Islanders wind up uh, with a 4-3 overtime win over the Stars. And, uh, you know, just a real quick story, and I, I did mention this on Twitter. I'm sure some of you or many of you might have seen it, but uh, in the post-game scrum, and now when, when Derek Broussard's scored his goal in the second period. It was originally just announced as Broussard from Michael Dalcal. And um, then during the second intermission, late in the second intermission, they did add a secondary assist for, uh, for, for Kiefer Bellows. And, you know, to be honest, by the time we talked to Kiefer in the post-game dressing room, I, I was sure someone would have come up to him and, and informed him that he had gotten his first NHL point. So, uh, you know, I, I did ask him, I, I said, you know, who, who, who was it who informed you that you have gotten your first NHL point, you know, with, with the scoring change? And his head kind of like shook a little bit and his eyes got wide and he looked at me and he said, you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was I, w- I was really hoping that, uh, you know, at that moment, it was funny. But then I had this horrible thought that, you know, maybe his parents were uh, hoping to break the good news to him. Uh, after the scrum, you know, after he did his media stuff. So if I, if I screwed that up for uh, Brian and Tracy, I I really do apologize. But again, you know, 
Thanks to uh, Kiefer for spending a couple of minutes on a busy uh, game day. And, uh, you know, again, good luck to him in the future. And with that, that brings us to uh, one of my... uh, you know, favorite parts of this show. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. And and as I mentioned on Twitter, <laughs> I said I was accepting all hockey music and BoJack Horseman related questions. And uh, one of the uh, one of my uh, coworkers immediately tweeted at me. Nick Klopsis says, <laughs> "No spoilers in all caps. I haven't watched the final half season yet." And uh, Nick. Uh, neither have I. I am saving that for uh, all the flights I'm going to be taking uh, between this weekend, going to Tampa and Washington, and then the uh, Nashville, Vegas, Arizona, Denver swing. I figure I can, you know, knock it all out uh, in the air. But uh, so no spoilers on that, and I actually did not get any BoJack Horseman uh, related questions. So I will just say I, I think this is. Cartoon, animation, live motion, otherwise, I I find BoJack Horseman to be one of the most smartly written, uh, greatest TV shows I I, I think I've seen. And, uh, you know, I'm sad to see it end and, uh, you know, kind of uh, anticipating and with, with a little regret watching these final episodes here. But that is... That is neither here nor there. As And again, we go back to a Kiefer Bellows question from Mike T, who says, how long a look do you think Bellows gets? Um, and I, I certainly believe that this is going to be through the Feb 24th trade deadline. Uh, Kiefer is going to get a look here. Um, although, you know, as Barry Trot said after Tuesday's game, you know, he really... He, he thought Kiefer had a, uh, had a lot of good things in his game, and he said if he was Kiefer, he would have been very happy with his game. Uh, but Barry also, you know, the caveat being that the adrenaline and the excitement was there for that first game, and the trick, uh, Barry Trot says, is to maintain that level. But I, I certainly think they're going to give Kiefer Bellows every chance here to... To, to, to win that spot or, you know, as, you know, as has been speculated, also possibly showcasing him for a possible deal. I don't think that can be ruled out either. You know, Kiefer Bellows, Noah Dobson, Oliver Wallstrom, you know, Simon Holmstrom to a lesser extent at this point. Those are, you know, that's who's known around the NHL. So if teams come calling to Lou, that's going to be some of the asks there. And now NHL teams are going to get a chance to see Kiefer Bellows at the NHL level. So now me personally, I mean, as long as Kiefer doesn't, you know, have two or three stinkers in a row, which I I don't suspect he will, although there's always a rookie learning curve, um, I I suspect he's going to get a slew of games here in a row, you know, quite possibly through the trade deadline or until the Islanders do make a move, if and when that does happen. And uh, leading into that is Andy Hicks, who says, standard, what's going to happen at the deadline question? And, you know, I'll give your the standard answer I've been giving for a couple of two, three weeks here is uh, I, I still think Lou Lamarillo does make a move this year, this season. Um, I, I, I think he, I, I think it's very clear as has been mentioned here that the Islanders do need scoring help. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on, on Kiefer Bellows being that, you know, the, the ultimate solution here. And I'm not sure, you know, uh, Lou Lamarillo is, although I think there's time to change him and Barry Trotz's mind. Now, I, I still think the move here is to acquire a, a, a veteran who, who's been through a playoff push who can provide some scoring. And the names, you know, I, I've mentioned you know, a Tyler Toffoli or a Jason Zucker of the Wild, I think are two pieces that would, would fit in nicely if if possible. But uh, I, I do think Lou's going to make a move. And and to be honest, it, it would not shock me to see Lou make two moves here to, to get some scoring help, uh, to get some power play help, which I, I think is becoming a, a number one priority as well. Um and also to get some left defense help with Adam Pellick being out for the rest of the regular season at minimum with that Achilles tendon injury. I, I, I would not be shocked if Lou makes two moves here. Um, but we'll see, and we'll, we'll see how deep Lou wants to go into his you know, pool of draft picks and his uh, pool of prospects to, uh, to bolster the team. But uh, to me, there, there does need to be some propping up uh, before the uh, trade deadline, and uh, Michael Clink and <laughs> I, I'll go to the bottom here. Michael, being very very kind to me, ends it with just to help you out. It's Clink like drink. So I, I am I am positive I am pronouncing this name correctly. Michael Clink says, "Hey Andrew, I haven't heard much about the quality of the ice at Barclays. Have they played?" Enough games for yourself, the players, or other members of the Islanders organization to notice whether it has improved. Um, I don't think there has been much improvement to the ice. I think, you know, I think the players have just gotten used to it. And I think it's almost the norm, whether it's Barclays or Nassau Coliseum or Madison Square Garden or even some places where you think there would be some good ice like, you know, Edmonton or, uh, you know, I think Winnipeg has some pretty decent ice, if I remember correctly. But for the most part, the the blanket around the NHL is, you know, these are multi-purpose arenas, uh, be it basketball games or concerts or boxing, MMA, whatever. You know, I know at the Coliseum, they bring in indoor lacrosse and play on top of the ice. Um, These are... These are all factors as a potato chip gets stuck in the back of my throat. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, radio tip or podcast tip, do not eat potato chips before trying to talk. But, um, you know, I, 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 I find more and more that, that players are just, they, they anticipate the ice being bad. Uh, rather than the ice being good, and this is just you know how they play. I know every time they go to Carolina, uh, the players just roll their ice their their eyes at at the ice quality down there, and you know I'm sure visitors come into Barclays and roll their eyes at the, at the ice quality in in Brooklyn. But it's uh, what is it? Uh, I think five more games going into Thursday night's game against the Kings at Barclays, and then whatever uh, the, the playoffs may bring, and that's a, uh, a whole nother 
uh, bag of potato chips there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think going off on a, a little bit of a tangent uh, and based on, you know, what Gary Bettman said at the NHL uh, All-Star break when asked by Newsday's Laura Albanese and what he said on uh, on radio shows, it certainly sounds like, you know, past the first round, kind of just like last season, the NHL is not going to allow a, a long playoff run at Nassau Coliseum. You know, if the Islanders advance probably past the first round, uh, you know, there will be games back at Barclays because, you know, technically, uh, you know, Nassau, and this is NBC and the league speaking, I don't think they think that the the Coliseum has the capacity in terms of technology to to handle you know bigger and bigger events like an Eastern Conference final or a Stanley Cup final with the amount of you know wires and cameras and all that and I, I know you say you know well the, the Coliseum was able to handle that for four Stanley Cup runs but that was a long long time ago 80 to 83 and the television technology and the needs of TV have, have come light years since then and, and the Coliseum has not so uh um, so Michael Clink, there are two answers and uh, one correct name pronunciation for you. Um, Brian Lotto um, says, absent an injury, do you think Sebastian Ajo is ever going to get a shot? And, uh, you know, they bring up Sebastian Ajo as soon as Adam Pellick uh, goes down with that Achilles tendon injury. Uh, healthy scratch, I believe it's 12 straight games. He... Uh, he got sent down, and Bridgeport played a Wednesday morning game, so he got reassigned after the Tuesday night game. Uh, the expectation, and by the time you hear this, this may have happened already, but the expectation being that they will bring Sebastian Ajo back as a uh, seventh defenseman, but I, I don't, for now, I, I don't see him getting into the lineup ahead of Noah Dobson. Um, so absent an injury, no, I, I don't think Sebastian is going to be in the lineup in the near future. And I think as we get to the trade deadline, unless they believe Thomas Hickey is, you know, kind of around the corner, uh, ready to get healthy. And, uh, he's been out now, I think since late November, uh, with the Island, with what the Islanders are terming a lower body injury, um, and Lou Lamarillo has made it clear that this is not a concussion, which was, uh, you know, Thomas's uh, issue last season, which led to Devante's uh, call-up. Um, but uh, you know, Hickey, Hickey just—if Hickey was healthy, he would. I think he'd certainly be up here instead of Sebastian Ajo. That not being the case, so you got a couple of things. You got, you know. Uh, Thomas Hickey, whenever he gets healthy, if the Islanders don't pull off a trade for a lefty defenseman, uh, Hicks becomes a candidate whenever he's healthy. Um, and you had Dennis Seidenberg practicing with the team for a couple of days uh, last week. And I know that's probably not Lou's number one option, you know, for defense depth, but you know, as the seventh, eighth defenseman, uh, you know, sides, you know, you saw you saw them sign sides at the end of last season. He's now in the player development staff. And, uh, you know, as soon as I saw him in a couple of practices, I, I will tell you right now, it will not shock me if 
if Lou's not able to do anything else, if they bring sides back for some veteran uh, help, you know, just depth. And and it would probably be like a Sebastian Ajo uh, deal right now, unless, you know, barring an injury, I, I wouldn't think Dennis Seidenberg would get into the lineup, but he's there, you know, and, you know, kind of in case of emergency, break the glass. So uh, in Trots We Trust asks, does Lou Lamarillo believe Garth did a great job assembling talent? The reason I ask is the roster is made up of nearly all Garth's players, and Lou has been the president GM 20-plus months. Now, you know, I'm, I went over the, the roster uh, for the Dallas game, and that included Sebastian Ajo. Um, so that's a 23-man roster there. Um, if you go down it... Um, 17 of the 23 players are players that, you know, came under Garth Snow's watch, while six of them, six of the players are players that, you know, were acquired by Lou Lamarillo, and that's uh, Semyon Varlamov, and uh, Noah Dobson was drafted, Derek Broussard signed as a free agent, Tom, Tommy Kunakel signed twice as a free agent, Matt Martin reacquired from the Maple Leafs, Leo Komarov signed as a free agent from the Maple Leafs. Is that six? I believe that's one, two, three, four, five, six. I named them all. Um, Now, as to your question, does Lou believe Garth did a great job assembling talent? Here's what I will tell you, and here's what I heard when Lou Lamarillo took the job as Islanders president and then named himself GM after, you know, basically relieving Garth of his duties. Um... Lou came here because he did not see this as a rebuilding project. He came here because he saw the talent here. Um, he saw some moldable clay. He he and Barry Trotz, and I think this you know bore some fruit last season. They saw a talent pool that just needed better direction and better coaching and better discipline and a better understanding of uh, how to play NHL hockey. But they did see talent here. So, you know, does Lou believe Garth did a great job assembling talent? You know, I've never asked Lou that directly, uh, whether he thought Garth did a great job assembling talent. But Lou, you know... Lou made it known that he did see talent here. So in a way, I guess, yeah, he he did think Garth did a good job of assembling talent. Um, You know, I I think Lou and Barry have taken that talent and improved upon it um, in terms of the players that were here. Um, You know, and I know, and again, you know, we had that question last week as to whether there's a disconnect between how the the media sees Lou doing his job and and the fans see Lou doing his job. And yes, there is that disconnect. And uh, I I think the media grades Lou a little bit higher than uh, the fans do at this point. But, you know, I I think, you know, if you're going to credit Barry Trotz for the improvements in the the player personnel, I, I think you also have to credit Lou for, you know, how they've bought into the defensive system and cut down on the goals against and, you know, you know, become more of a resilient team. They practice better. You know, Lou does have a hand in that. Um, let's see. Eric Islander 
says, can you compare, contrast Bellows and Wallstrom? And uh, as I look through my notes here, um, obviously both are, you know, want to be kind of power forwards and both, both have pretty good shots. Both have pretty good wrist shots and both want to be and are, are being counted upon to be scorers. Now, you know, Bellows is, uh, you know, one year further into the program than Wallstrom at this point. Wallstrom is just a titch bigger um, at 6'2", 211. Bellows is uh, 6'1", 195. Um, if you listen to Barry Trotz, Bellows has kind of grown into his quote-unquote man strength. A little bit better, uh, maybe at this point. Although that that quote was not in a compare contrast situation to Wallstrom. Uh, Wally obviously had a shot up here at the NHL earlier this season. Bellows getting his shot now. Uh, Bellows has been a more consistent scorer um, at the AHL level. You know, with with what was it, uh, sixteen goals? Or no, fifteen goals over his last twenty six. Games with the Sound Tigers before being called up. And uh, uh, Wallstrom, as of yet, has not found that consistent scoring touch. Um, so maybe there, that's the contrast right now. Um, I don't know how it all plays out at the NHL. I, I, I sort of think the organization still thinks Oliver Wallstrom might have a higher ceiling in terms of what he can bring um, than Kiefer Bellows. But, you know, what Kiefer Bellows has, has a chance to prove that wrong. Um, so, you know, are they equal candidates right now? Um, well, Bellows is up. Wallstrom is still, you know, trying to hone his craft at the AHL level. I, I would say at the end of the day, both are going to get their chance to establish themselves, certainly as NHL players. And then it's a matter of will and uh, how much work you put in. And, you know, sometimes that stuff is more important than the uh, the skill, uh, although the skill is very important. You know, there, there are a lot of skillful people who don't make the uh, NHL. It, it, it's, you know, how you learn to be a pro. I, I think right now maybe Bellows is just... You know, like I said, a little bit titch ahead of uh, Wallstrom, but then again, he's got a year into the program, so it's a little bit of a, a you know tilted playing field or ice surface there. Um, Melissa says, personally, I have seen that Varlamov, Semyon Varlamov, seems to do better against the Western Conference teams, and Grice seems to excel against the Eastern Conference teams. Am I the only one who noticed this? Um, and you know, Melissa, that was a thought provoking question. So I went back and I, I did look at it and, you know, just before I give you the numbers, it would make sense that the Varley would do better against the Western conference, having played for the Avs, uh, for eight season and just being a little bit more familiar with those opponents. Uh, you know, he, he still probably considers himself a little bit more of a, you know, Western conference goalie after eight seasons in Colorado and grace, you know, Pittsburgh before the uh, the Islanders has, has been in the Eastern Conference for a while, uh, a little more familiar with the uh, with the Eastern Conference teams. But here are the final numbers. Um, let's see, Thomas Grice, who is uh, you know he is he's fourteen seven and two 
uh, overall, um, 2.50922. I did not do the uh, goals against and the save percentage breakdown uh, by East and West, but I will give you the records here. Um, Thomas Grice is 12-3-1 against the East and 2-4-1 against the West. Uh, and that, my, that math adds up to 14-7-2, which is his record. So I'm double-checking here, um, doing the proofs. But uh, Grice again, 12-3-1 against the East, 2-4-1 against the West. And then you get to Simeon Varlamov as I flip pages in my uh, tattered notebook here. Simeon Varlamov who is, uh, after that 4-3 overtime win against the uh, Stars on Tuesday, is improved to 16-8-4. So he is 10-6-2 against the East and 6-2-2 against the West. And just, again, with the the mice running through my... uh, on the treadmill or, or in the circle in my brain to power it. I believe the 6-2-2, two, and two, I, the win percentage is, you know, uh, it's 10-8, 6-4. It's about the same, same percentage east and west. Uh, he's just played, you know, uh, it was at 18 games against the east and 10 games against the west. So, again, 10-6-2 against the east. 6-2-2 two two against the West for Varlamov. It's really Grice where you see the big difference. Again, uh, as I mentioned, he is 12-3-1 against the East and just 2-4-1 against the West. So uh, thank you for uh, making me think there, Melissa, and doing a little bit of math. Always appreciate it. Um, Stu says, the last 30 or so games have been a bit stressful for the fans, do you sense any frustration or anxiety in the players? They're professionals and always say the right thing, but are you picking up any vibes? And I can tell you honestly, no. Uh, you know, I, the, these guys, and, and it's kind of tough to understand the mentality if you're not a professional athlete, but these guys really thrive on this. I mean, these are guys who compete at everything. You know, they, they compete to see who will walk faster down a corridor. You know, if these guys play ping pong, they'll be, they'll be ticked off if they lose. You know, if they're playing bubble hockey, they want to win. Um, these are some of the most competitive, eh, not even some of these, some of them. They are the most competitive people you will meet. And that's what really, you know, you talk about talent as I did, just did and, you know, who puts in the work. The reason these guys get to the NHL is they've put in the work because they are so competitive about it and they know, you know, they, they just strive to be the best. And that, that sounds like a cliche, but it is not. It, it really isn't. Um, so, you know, Going a long way around the answer, uh, you know, to to circle back, um, no, I'm not picking up any vibes. This is fun for these guys. This is this is what they work out all summer for, and this is you know what gets them through the early part of the season is to be in this playoff push, and you know they they, they describe this as the fun part of the year. So uh, I, I am not sensing any, you know, quote-unquote vibes or nervousness or anything like that. Um, Mike Seidler says, if the Islanders land J.G. Pajot from the Senators, what is the likelihood that he'd be signed for an extension? And uh, 
you know, as you heard my uh, colleague Colin Stevenson say uh, when he was uh, my co-host for a couple of weeks, you know, Lou Lamarillo not totally enamored of the rental scenario. Um, I would think, you know, obviously Pajot would come in as a as a rental, but I, I think if the Islanders acquire him, uh, it would certainly be to look to sign him to an extension. Now, it's up to Pajot, you know, as to whether coming off the, the, the season he wants to, you know, test the free agent market or not. Or, you know, Pajot's numbers have, have dipped. I mean, noticeably dipped, I, I would say, over certainly the last month or so. Uh, maybe the last six weeks. Um, maybe if a deal is in front of him, he just wants to take the money and get some continuity. Although players always... Kind of my my sense of players is they always want to know what their their ceiling worth is. So uh, would he go to July first? You know, uh, Lou did have success last season. You know, re-signing his UFAs before July first. Anders Lee and Robin Leonard accepted, of course. Uh, but Brock Nelson and uh, Jordan Everly, who everyone assumed was going to go to July first, they both got signed. You know, with with a relatively big window before the July 1st uh, free agency market opens. So I would think if if Lou pegs Peugeot as the guy he wants for this program, he would try and extend him, and then it's up to Peugeot's side to decide whether that happens or not. And Michael uh, Minucci says, uh, do you see Noah Dobson getting more ice time as the rest of the year plays out, seems to be getting more confident each game he plays, if so, does this allow Lou to stay internal with the defense while not having to give away an asset, an asset for a lefty D-man? Um, you know, Noah's ice time has been fluctuating. You know, he's been up in, you know, in the 15 to 20s for a few games, and then he's below 10. And for a while, and, and Barry kind of, you know, confirmed this, saying they were going with really five and a half D-men. Uh, you know the game's close in the third period. Barry's going to rely on his on his uh, veterans. But you know, last last night, Tuesday night against the Stars, uh, Noah got twelve eighteen over seventeen shifts, and uh, he was out there. Uh, you know, in the third period, I, I, with with the game. You know, the Islanders actually trailing there in the third period. Until uh, until those uh, that power play goal by Barzell sent it into OT, but uh, he received. Now I'm counting it up now: one, two, three, four, five shifts in the uh, in the third period, and that compares favorably to the one, two, three, four, five shifts he got in the second period, and the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shifts he got in the first period. So kind of spread out ice time, and that's a good sign for Noah Dobson that he is earning more trust out of the coaching staff. So uh, his confidence getting back is getting better. Um, so uh, as I'm trying to refocus my eyes on the question, um, Yes, it gives Lamarillo an internal candidate, you know, although Dobson being a right-hander, you're playing him with a fellow right-hander and Johnny Boychuk, which is not always the most optimal. I, I, again, as I've said, I, I still think Lou looks to, to bring in a lefty D-man. So uh, let's see. Envy says Noah Dobson's uh, junior team in the Quebec uh, Major Junior Hockey League 
Uh, his team likely won't make the playoffs, and their regular season ends on 321. I'm not looking at the uh, at the schedule. I will take your word for it, Envy. But the point being, hypothetically, could the Islanders assign him to Bridgeport the day after his junior hockey team season ends, since there's no more junior team obligation? Would they even consider that if they trade for a D-man? You know, I I poured through the CBA and trying to make sure I gave you the right answer. And then I confirmed my suspicions. And yeah, you know, he does become AHL eligible uh, once once, uh, his junior team is either eliminated from the playoffs or their regular season ends. So yeah, he can be sent down to Bridgeport as soon as that junior team, as you say, obligation is done. Um, would they consider that if they trade for a D-man? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And, and I say this, I, I'm not sure they would do that just because, you know, I, I don't know if Bridgeport, it doesn't look like Bridgeport's making the AHL playoffs. So I, I don't know what, you know, Noah would get down, would get by going down for a week or two or whatever it would be you know, two, three weeks there. Um, I, I would tend to think that would be unlikely in that scenario, um, especially since he's been up here all season. Um, so let's see. And then I'm going to circle back for one last question. And again, I, I said you can give me some music questions. And Kurt Green said, regardless of their popularity, which music artist would you love to see play a Super Bowl halftime show? For me, I'd go with Muse for the mix of music and spectacle. That would certainly be fun. I've always been surprised that Metallica hasn't played. I've been a little bit surprised that Guns N' Roses hasn't played a halftime yet. And to be honest, with uh, you know, with Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man out, I, I thought there was an opportunity to you know, bring Queen with Adam Lambert in. I, I think they kind of go across a lot of different, you know, genre boundaries uh, in terms of who likes their music. I think Queen plus Adam Lambert would have been a slam dunk because they give you the big production. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly surprised Billy Joel has never been a halftime thing. But as far as what I would like to see, um, you know, none of the bands I would like to see out there uh, are, are going to play out there. You know, I, I think Avenged Sevenfold would be a lot of fun. Um, but again, it's, it's a band thing and you can't really do a show around that. You want people dancing around. So, you know, but again, you know. I I would love to see Metallica do a halftime show. I, I really would. I, I think so many people do know their music that it wouldn't just be, you know, like old rockers like me who would be interested in that. I, I think you would get a young crowd as well. None of the bands I really want to see, I don't think, are going to get a shot. I don't even think bands like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band or when they got the Who out there or, or U2, I, I think just think the Super Bowl is going away from, you know, positioning, you know, four or five musicians on a stage. I just don't think that's the look they want. But, um, and that is it. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to episode 20 
of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Uh, I, I am your host. I have been your host. I hopefully will still be your host next week. Andrew Gross, you can find me on Twitter at Newsday. You can find the Island Ice podcast on the Newsday website, uh, newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, there's an Islanders webpage, as I told you, a tab, uh, all the back uh, issues of uh, my articles and also uh, all the podcasts are up there. You can also find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed, Apple, Spotify, etc., etc., Google. And with that, I will say uh, I will talk to you again next week from some some other city. I'm sure I won't be sitting in my kitchen talking into the microphone. I'll be talking to you from some hotel room. But uh, until then, enjoy it and happy hockey, everybody.